This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. How you be on this Thursday? Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. One Bills Live is your program of choice. Thanks for choosing it. (laughs) Steve and I here on a getaway Thursday as uh, we will be the fortunate recipients of a long Memorial Day weekend. And, of course, we uh, remember those who paid the ultimate price in defending our freedom of this country as a... uh, as a descendant of three generations of those who served, I say uh, thank you uh, to those who did not come home uh, for making the ultimate sacrifice. So thank you for that. And to all those families who made those sacrifices with their uh, respective family members who served, thank you as well, because uh, you make just as many sacrifices. Uh, but we are getting into football topics. Team out on the field today. Practice not open to the media nor us, um, but we hear the music pumping just yards away yeah. from our office. It's it's so tempting, Steve. I watch. You, you want to sneak a peek? Yeah, I watch. I stood in the doorway of the building. What for about thirty seconds? And then I started feeling creepy, so I left. Yeah, you didn't want to be creepy, creepy I, old guy watching the. I saw him break the huddle once. <laughs> it was glorious. I felt so <laughs> naughty. <laughs> So, Uh, but yes, they are hard at work Uh, again today. They have another session tomorrow and then we will be able to see a session early next week. And then we'll obviously bring you any and all details from that session here on the show and on buffalobills.com as well. Earlier this week, um, we heard from Josh Allen. We heard from Sean McDermott and not surprisingly, the subject of Josh and his game and advancing it came up in short order, and I think we all are completely aware of the fact that those around Josh and Josh himself has stated that he is locked in in a way that he has never been before. Not to say he wasn't trying hard, giving his best, and all of that stuff, but I think Josh has made it plain that he has removed anything from his life that he deems a distraction from his ultimate goal, which is bringing a championship to Buffalo. And so with that in mind, we do have our Twitter topic out there for you to respond to today. And it goes like this. Josh Allen is laser-focused for the 2023 season. What changes do you think he makes to his game? Give us your thoughts on that at 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550, the number to get on board. We also, since this is a getaway Thursday and we will not have a show on Friday, we also wanted to do right by our listeners and viewers and open up the OBL fan mailbag as well. So it's open today early. So if you have any questions about the team, what we've seen on the practice field to this point, Questions about the league, maybe some of those rule changes that we were talking about earlier this week. Fire off your questions as well to us at One Bills Live, or you can call us with your question at 803-0550-1-888-550-2550, the number to dial in. So, Steve, there is also NFL news, which I think is kind I mean, you know, this time of year, how interesting is the NFL news? Who's moving the meter you know, that kind of stuff. There is one note here, maybe two, um, and we'll kind of dive into all of it. 
But let's go around the NFL here, brought to you by Collider Health. And we begin, Steve, with Lamar Jackson, who has, you know, met the media at OTAs down there in Baltimore or Owings Mills, Maryland, wherever they practice. Right. And he's been asked, naturally, a lot of questions about the new offense with offensive coordinator Todd Monken, who has years in the league as a coordinator, Tampa Bay, Atlanta, a couple other places, but most recently was the offensive coordinator at the University of Georgia. He has since left. He is now with the Ravens as their new OC, replacing Greg Roman. So Lamar Jackson was asked the other day, what's different about this Ravens offense? And he said, less running, more passing. And he believes the offense is going to allow him to throw the ball down the field more. He said, running can only take you so far. What I'm seeing in this offense, it's looking tremendous. My question to you, Steve, is Lamar going to be a better all-around quarterback from a passing perspective because of this offensive system being implemented in Baltimore? Um. Yes, he will be. More, he will be forced to be a little bit more well-rounded. I think his numbers passing are obviously going to be going up than where from where they were a year ago and two years ago. Even in his in his um, MVP year, he will look better. But will this offense be a pass-first offense? No, I don't think so. I don't think that. No, I, I think they will begin with that idea, mm-hmm. and I think they'll evolve back to what they do best, and that is Lamar with the ball in his hands running around. I think the reason that there is this perception or assumption that with Todd Monken and the free agent additions, Miles Boykin, Nelson Aguilar, Odell Beckham Jr., and a draft choice in Zay Flowers, people are like, oh, they're loading up to throw. Now, look, have they upgraded their talent at the receiver position? I would say they have. Um, I just don't know if it changes who Lamar Jackson is. And let's not forget this either. Opposing defenses, the game plan against Lamar Jackson in the passing game is to give him anything he wants outside the numbers. Just do not give him the middle of the field between the numbers. He is deadly accurate between the numbers. Outside the numbers – is where his game falls off a bit. Right. Now, I'm not saying he can't improve that and make that better, but how much does that limit his coordinator if he can't be consistent outside the numbers throwing the football? And maybe, is that an oversimplification? And, and, and I'll say or? this first. They know better than I do. Lamar Jackson, uh, John Harbaugh know a lot better than I do, but I would, I, I'd be hesitant to throw this all on the feet of their former offensive coordinator, um, Greg Roman. Greg Roman. Most NFL coordinators, and Greg Roman's one of those guys, they run an offense and call plays because they know what their guys can do. They formulate game plans knowing what their guys can do and that what they do best. They stay away from doing things that they don't think their guy can do, and they see the guy every day, as does everybody else on the coaching staff. So... I think to to throw, you know, Greg Roman under the bus might be a little premature because I there's nobody nobody was trying to win games more than Greg Roman and I'm and I don't I don't know Greg Roman well, well at all. That three tight end offense they ran in 2018 was a freight train. 
They went right. 14 and two. Right. Um, Lamar did have a high, uh, you know, 62.3% completion percentage. He was 6.9 per attempt, 17 TDs, seven interceptions. Didn't get intercepted all that much, 2.1%. I think he's, you know, he has some things he does well. I think Mark Andrews is a beneficiary of that. But when they start calling plays, the question is going to be, can Lamar make us see and believe all that stuff we thought about him was not true? When you see guys running the corner route at 17 yards or a flat, deep comeback, and he ain't, throw, he ain't cutting it loose, Bills fans saw that with Tyrod. Tyrod wouldn't cut it loose. Yep. And it was frustrating. So that's up to Lamar. Certainly, Todd Munkin's got the chops to get it done. He can he can d- design plays, and I don't know that Greg Roman couldn't. Um, it's a different story if you're saying Greg Roman wouldn't. We don't. We'll never know that. Yeah. But that's that's the idea. Lamar is. They changed. They entirely revamped their entire offensive philosophy when they drafted him. They got rid of the highest paid quarterback, Super Bowl winning quarterback in their franchise's history because of all those things, because of Lamar, they went all in with this run offense, offensive coordinator for Lamar. They paid Lamar, the, you know, offensive, new offensive coordinator for Lamar. This first one was for Lamar. Now this one's for Lamar as well. They're, you know, they're running out of, they're running out of options, but they, and they flipped the script on what the offense is going to be focused on. Now it's up to Lamar to develop into this other offensive coordinator. The first offensive coordinator brought him along, got him an MVP. You think Todd Munkin is going to get Lamar Jackson another MVP? That's a real question. I don't know. That's the question. We'll have to see. The New England Patriots, Steve. This is going to bring a smile to your face. Oh, it already Forfeiting two days of OTAs due to violations of off-season rules. So two days of practice scrapped. Which you say, ah, what's the big deal? Well, it's 20% of your OT8 schedule. So it's not nothing. Um, And that team right now needs all the help they can get. Especially, you know, putting in new elements of the offense, fitting the offensive line back together. Pro Football Talk is reporting that according to a source with knowledge of the situation, it was a meeting violation that got the Patriots pinched. According to the source, an observer from the NFL Players Association asserted that one of the optional early off-season meetings was a violation because the 15-minute meeting in question, which was a special team session, was made visible on the internal schedule. In the opinion of the Players Association, placing the meeting on the formal schedule converted it from optional to mandatory, which is a violation. How'd you like getting pinched two practices for a 15-minute special teams yeah. meeting that you mistakenly <coughs> listed on your daily schedule? Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty petty. Even even by couldn't have happened to a better team though. Patriot standards couldn't have happened to a better team. Though. <laughs> right, even by my you know unforgiving stance on the Patriots in so, the past, I'm gonna say, I'm, I'm gonna say, oh wow. So you're gonna like that's this. not as tasty as I wished it would have been. You're gonna like this. <laughs> you're gonna like this though. Yeah. Um, 
one Patriots fan, in response to the report when it first came out, and we didn't know oh, yeah. why the, know it was. the guy said, we're cheating again? Awesome. I feel so much better about the outlook for the 2023 season. <laughs> Ring number seven's on the way. <laughs> we're was, cheating again. Oh, my gosh. That was it, a good one. It, that It went I, – I read some of those responses. and that was I mean, great. They all went down. And they – even Patriot fans are like going, sweet, we're back in a saddle. Because, <laughs> you know, we're cutting corners. We are cheating we are, the system. We are doing it the way we have always done it, man. <laughs> we're back. We are back in championship mode. Uh, pretty funny stuff. Oh, man. And you can imagine, because Goodell's been there. He's been the, I think he's been the commissioner ever since Belichick had that job. Yeah, he's been the hammer. He's got to be like, like just rubbing his forehead going what are you doing up there plus he's also doing that going listen keep an eye on those jokers yeah don't let anything happen because i don't need don't let anything slide right 15 minute meeting i don't care two practices slide because i don't want to be dragged through the mud having to suspend mac jones or i certainly don't want to suspend bill belichick again and you know or fine him because you know what we know this their owner is on board with it yeah he's not we can't trust him to let us know so just watch those guys, would you please? And I mean that's that's fine tooth comb stuff they, there that they found. Right? Fifteen minute they meeting. They put a meeting that was gonna happen, they put it on the schedule. <laughs> yeah. Well, that means you gotta be there, doesn't it? It's no longer optional. Well, I guess. <laughs> well, then it's not optional. Uh, all all right. right. Just do what you gotta do. Whatever. So delicious! It's all every one of those morsels is tasty. Even, even seeing them get caught is like. Makes and the only like, reason uh, the media up there, I can't even, I can't even relish the feeling of them getting caught for something yeah. like this. I mean, I know, and the only reason the media got kind of put on the scent of that was they were supposed to have practice yesterday, and then all of a sudden it got scrapped in like the eleventh hour, and they're like. Something's going on here. What the what? So, you know, a lot of the good reporters up there, like Mike Reese, who we had on last week on the show, you know, did some digging and found out, oh, violation. Oh, well. Unbelievable. Uh, Not unbelievable. From middling to just outright poor, uh, the Raiders quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo, Steve, we've, we've learned from some good reporting from some people at The Athletic, including Vic DeFour, uh, quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo underwent foot surgery after signing with Las Vegas in March. He's not on the field for Raiders OTAs. An exact timeline for his return is unknown, though the sense from the team is he'll be ready for the season. The Raiders apparently discovered Garoppolo's foot problem at his physical, and they found that his foot was not fully healed and he'd have to undergo a procedure to correct it. And so that's why his introductory press conference and official signing back in March was pushed back a day. But, Steve, I know that Garoppolo is familiar with Josh McDaniel's system, having played in it in New England, albeit as a backup. But this guy's got to get on the field with his with his receivers and his backs and his – you know what I mean? Like – He's not going to do that through OTAs. Yeah. They're saying he'll be ready for the season. Well, does that mean he's missing training camp too? 
Yeah, I I sense a top five draft pick for the. Yeah, sign Las me up Vegas for a five Raiders. and twelve Raiders season. I, I mean, my I, God, I sense a top five draft pick for them. Who would have thought they regret moving on from Derek Carr? They might be there already. Season hasn't even started. Good grief! I mean, what are you gonna do? That's the Raiders, though, yeah. these days. Uh, we said it already. We'll say it again. The OBL fan mailbag is open a day early because Steve and I are here on a getaway Thursday for Memorial Day weekend. That's number one. Number two, our topic of discussion. Josh Allen is laser-focused for the 2023 season. What changes do you think he'll be making in his game this year? You can let us know at 803-0550, local number to call in the 716 area code. Toll-free, 1-888-550-2550 is the toll-free number to call, or you can hit us up on the tweet sheet at One Bills Live. Steve, we've talked about this, and you actually had a comment yesterday because on the show because we had been discussing a lot of the public perception is based on the running back additions and some of the line additions that they're going to let Josh be more of a pocket guy and not have him run around as much so he doesn't get hurt. Right. You had a rebuttal to that line of thinking on the show yesterday. So let's hear that to set this up. Quarterbacks don't get hurt running the ball. Josh doesn't get hurt running the ball. Randall Cunningham never got hurt running the ball. John Elway didn't get hurt running the ball. Mike Vick never got hurt running the ball. Tim Tebow never got hurt running the ball. What's another one? Name it. These quarterbacks who run the ball don't get hurt when they run the ball. Every quarterback that you ever see get whacked, with rare exception, gets hurt standing in the pocket like a statue. Josh Allen isn't going to get hurt running the ball. That guy's a hammer. It's the nail who gets hurt. And when he's standing in the pocket, he becomes the nail. Yeah. So I don't have a problem with Josh running. I wish the offense was more efficient so that Josh would throw the ball from the pocket, from a clean pocket. So there it is. And, you know, you can look at this a number of different ways because you could say, all right, they got some backs that can run between the tackles to get tough yards. So Josh doesn't have to be the best short yardage ball carrier on the team, which we've seen sure. for the better part of the last four or five years. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, is Josh going to change his game where he's not making off script plays? I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I mean, he makes almost as he makes sometimes the more spectacular plays out of the pocket than he does in. Uh, so that's why we're asking you today. What changes do you think he makes to his game, knowing he is laser-focused on raising his level of play based on what he said this week, based on what we've heard from his head coach? So you tell us at 803-0550, We're going to go to the phones right away here, Steve. We'll go to oh. Tom on the west side. What do you got for us, Tom? You're on One Bills Live. Hey, guys. How you, I, I'm glad you're asking this question. Because I, I think it's going to be just like Lamar Jackson, but it's going to be run less and hand off more. Because with the backfield we have, we have the players that can run the ball, and and Allen doesn't have to do it. He's still going to pass the ball a lot. Don't get me wrong, but I, I the question is, can Lamar pass the ball? That's the question. 
Yeah. Yeah, that is. You're I'm right. Gonna, I'm going to hang guys. up and let you talk. Okay, All right. Thanks, thanks Tom. Tom. Yeah, you're right. Josh and Lamar, too, you can tell even, you know, even my mom can tell the difference between the way those guys play. Lamar is way different than Josh. Uh, Lamar has an off- was in an offense, and he won an MVP doing it. You can't shortchange him. The guy was a juggernaut with the Ravens. He won the MVP with that misdirection side-to-side side, and a quarterback who's 6'3", 220, whatever Lamar is, and runs a 4'3". He's a, he's a dude. Josh has been a mixture of both. And for most of us, and we remember when Josh was young with Dayball, they had a lot of cold quarterback runs. Where you Remember he'd just you know, get the ball out of shotgun, tuck it under his arm, two guards pull out or a guard and a tackle pull out in front of him, the running back pulls out in QB front of him. QB sweep. Yeah, it's like student body right, student body left, let's go, and we're just going to outweigh everybody at the goal line, right? They did some of that with Josh. They got away from that. Josh now runs on cold passing plays. Or, better still, he extends passing plays. And those guys just get too – they get spread too thin in the back end of the defense, and Josh just picks them apart, throws touchdowns, jumping out of bounds and stuff. That's different. So, Lamar and Josh are different. And you're right. It may be a more effective running game – takes the starch out of the pass rush, makes it easier on the offensive line, an offensive line that by all rights should be better than the offensive line a year ago. And now when Josh does throw it, he's not jumping all around dodging defensive ends. He stand back there and let it go. Steph Diggs comes open, balls on him. That would be much more fun for Bills fans. Yeah. And I think that's what the idea will be. And just to kind of illustrate the differences between Lamar and Josh, Lamar has two 1,000-yard rushing seasons in his career, does not have a single 4,000-yard passing season in his career. As a matter of fact, he has only one 3,000-yard passing season in his career. Now, part of that is due to the injuries he sustained each of the last two seasons. But Josh has three his last three seasons, he's thrown for 4,200 yards or more. So, and last year he only played in 16 games because of the postponed game. So, he's a much better passer and a much more proven passer than Lamar is. That could change. I don't think it's going to, but it could. Um, but how do you think he changes his game? I've got some thoughts, but we'll get to them after we get through some of these calls here. We go to Gary in Arcade next. What do you got for us, Gary? Yeah, I hope one of the things Josh changes is he holds on to the ball with two hands when he does have to scramble. Yeah. Uh, ball security, sure. Yeah, and I'll get – Brownie brought this up when we were sitting there, and, and he's right. We've talked about it before, but not, not at length and probably won't get into it too much today. It's just so – because it's so obvious. You can't turn it over. He gotta, he's got to cut de- – Josh Allen has to cut down on, on the turnovers. O- turnovers on his interceptions and fumbles as well, no question. Um, it's it's been that was a problem last year. They were thirteen and three, and they lost. And I'll say it again: three games by a total of eight points. They were killing everybody. They were a steamroller, and they were what number two in the league in second turnovers. in the league in turnovers. In turnovers with twenty seven in sixteen games. Yeah, only Houston had more with twenty eight. They turned it over all the time, and they you still couldn't beat them. 
I mean, so that if if Josh Josh had thirty five touchdowns and fourteen interceptions, if he get his interceptions even just to below ten, yeah, it's a huge plus. Along with and there's Along fumbles with, lost, know, the in fumbles there too. lost and stuff. The um, you know to Gary's that. point. Yeah, that's right. The fumbles lost. I'll look. I'm looking at. I'm trying to find them on the list right here. Fumbles lost. Where are they? Where do they put them on the team stats? Um, some stat services don't have them. I have. His, this is the Jesus when it should have. I have total fumbles for him. Oh, he had thirteen fumbles left. and fumbles lost. They had twenty-four fumbles. He had and he had thirteen of those twenty-four. Yeah, fourteen. Uh, yeah. Right. I don't know how many were lost. 13 but. lost. 24 fumbles total, 13 lost. Right. 13 of them, you said, were Josh's. Not, it doesn't mean the 13 that were yeah. lost were all Josh's. But yeah, well, I remember Spencer Brown recovered one of his in a playoff game. But I do remember he fell on 30, one of them. Dude. It's a lot of Th- turnovers. Are you kidding me? Thir- 24 fumbles? Yeah. That's why Devin Singletary isn't here anymore. 24 fumbles. That's the main reason why Devin Singletary is not here. And it's also the main reason. And 14 interceptions. And it's also the main reason why Damian Harris is here and Latavius Murray is here. Latavius Murray has three fumbles in his last 1,000 carries. (laughs) And Damian Harris has three fumbles in his entire four-year career. Professionally. If they don't turn the ball over, they're impossible to beat. But they turned it over a lot last year. They turned it over a ton. Yeah. Everybody except the the number the team with the number one pick in the draft twenty eight times, and we they beat us by one, or they were worse by one, not beat us, but they were worse by one. Yeah. The Bills turned it over entirely too much. If you're looking for something, and this is our question of the day: How's Josh going to fix his game or improve his game, or what's his? Just don't turn it over. Yep. If if he doesn't turn it over. Doesn't throw interceptions. They don't fumble it away. And his receivers can get into the 60 to 70% catch rate instead of the 50% catch rate yeah. with the drops that they had. The, this team will go 20 and 0. I'm going to read you a quote from Sean McDermott this week concerning raising how Josh could improve his game. And McDermott said, I just think that Josh taking his game to another level really means being a great decision maker we've talked about before this offseason it's been talked about adjusting his style of play enough to keep himself healthy and to play smart smarter at times and then I just think overall approach to the game so the smarter decision making is all about the turnovers because a lot of the times an ill-advised decision by a quarterback whether it's late in the play throwing back across the middle whatever the case might be, can put the ball in harm's way and sometimes result in a takeaway. So I, I think that's there. And I'll read a quote from Josh a little bit later on in the show to kind of illustrate that further. But we got people on hold, so let's get back to the phones. To Kevin in Hamburg next. What do you have, Kevin? Hey, guys. How you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Hope you have a nice holiday weekend this weekend. Yeah, you too. Um, answer your question, I'm glad you brought up about the running back situation and not only the fumbles, but now that we got two broody running backs finally – that we didn't have before, broody guys like Harris and Murray. I think Josh needs to let Dorsey, let them do the brute work, let them run in their people, let them plow in the people, 
that he don't have to plow. I know that he loves to do it. That's part of that's what makes him special. But let them act like John Riggins because they're running. Let them act like Earl Campbell and plow in the people that he don't have to maybe get hurt or get his bell rung. We finally got some brutes. Let them use their brute power. Let them act like Ironhead Hayward and those guys so he don't maybe get hurt or get his bell rung. Yeah, so, yeah it makes sense. And, I, and I'll say this. The – the thing that Josh always gave the offense in short yardage and goal line we're talking about was that option. The, the defense right. had to – they had to – He's a threat. Wait for him to bootleg out to make sure he didn't have the ball. They couldn't chase the ball down. They didn't – and because the team had to use him every once in a while in that situation to make sure the defense stayed honest. When you've got Latavius Murray or Damian uh, Damian Harris, Harris Maybe they got enough confidence to say, I don't care. We're going to hand it off. We're going to get it anyway. You don't, I don't care if you don't think Josh is going to run it. He's gonna, we're going to hand it to this guy, and he's going to do it. And Josh didn't even have to get involved. So maybe a little more of that. And, and you're right. That may be enough to take that much pressure off Josh Allen, that he doesn't have to have that kind of responsibility in the short yardage goal line areas or even in any type of running area. The only time he runs it is when, hey, everybody's covered up and the pocket starts to collapse and he skitters out, runs for 19 yards, runs out of bounds. Let's go line it up and let's play again. That yeah. that kind of stuff, I think we're all fine with that. He can run the ball all he wants to that when he runs out of bounds he doesn't get touched. So the situational runs where he needs to be an option to give the offense a chance to actually run the ball even with a running back, let alone with him as an option, is where I think the big difference could be envisioned. Mm -hmm. We have to take a break here, but Mark in West Seneca, Mike in Orchard Park, stay where you are. You'll lead us off when we come back from break. Josh is laser-focused for the 2023 season. What changes do you think he makes to his game to raise it to yet another level? 803-0550 to get on board. More of your phone calls next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, we know Josh Allen's laser focus for the 2023 season. He said as much, his coaches have said as much, his teammates have said as much. So with that in mind, what changes do you think he might make to his game this coming season? Go to the phones and to Mark in West Seneca. What do you got for us, Mark? Hey, Brownie. Hey, Steve. Great minds think alike. Your argument about where quarterbacks get hurt, I've been arguing with people with that exact argument for three years. And nobody wants wants to admit it or agree with it. So I am 100% on board with that. Um, as far as uh, Josh goes, uh, I've got a comment about his game and then a comment about the running backs, if you guys will indulge me for a minute. Um, it's funny that decision-making is what Sean McDermott brings up because it's, I see it as a two-fold thing um, for him to get better. Decision-making in the passing game, uh, there have been enough instances where Josh continues to force the ball down the field in situations that call for higher percentage completion passes uh, of a shorter distance that keep us on the field, uh, as in third and four, five, six, and we and he throws the ball 30 yards down the field, low percentage pass. Uh, so I think he needs to, to get that under control. Uh, and in the running game, um, the only way I see Josh getting hurt running the ball is when he puts himself in vulnerable positions, the hurdling, 
the not going down when he's under tackle and letting guys take an extra shot on him. You know, it's, it's different if he's fighting for a first down. But there's a lot of instances where when he's under tackle, he's got the yards he wants, needs. Uh, just go down. Don't don't give that extra shot because guys like to, and it's, it's happened. Uh, teams like to take extra uh, shots on Josh, uh, and they're, they're unnecessary. And then my other comment is running backs. You guys were talking about positions yesterday. Uh, when I look at the running back group, and I'd like your comment on this, with the signing of Murray, I've, I think it's almost push Hines out the door. Um, the only, I mean, Naheem Hines' skill set, uh, you know, is really passing game, quickness, maybe some jet sweeps, things like that. Well, we got James Cook with a very similar skill set, and we're going to feature him. And now we got Harris and Murray. Um, where I don't see Hines lining up in the slot with the signing of Hardy um, and what we've added on in the you know, and we still got Shakir. And I don't know if his return game is going to be enough to carry him to a roster spot. Uh, I was wondering what you guys think about that, but um, I think there's a little bit of duplication in skill set now between Cook and Hines uh, if we want to keep the other guys that we brought on board. So. I was wondering if you could comment on that. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks for the call, Mark. It, it remain, I, I, you're right. I'll start with the last thing first. It may be that Naheem Hines um, loses out in that competition, but let's not forget Naheem Hines is an outstanding kickoff returner. If there's a space for an extra running back, that may be enough for him to be kept around anyway. And let's think about the fact that Taiwan Jones is no longer occupying a spot in right. the running back room as a right. special they teamer. They don't have a coverage guy maybe Hines becomes that guy yeah that's a possibility but you're right as well uh having those two Latavius Murray and uh Damian Harris in the room there's some chops in that room now that weren't there before uh James Cook is in there he's he's got to be at least this early stage got to be the number one front runner because of his you know status and and his skill set and if you're going to go with four, those are the guys. There's That's four of them. And Hines, by virtue of his kick returning abilities, may just get it on that, even though that may not be a thing anymore with the fair catch possibilities. Right. And there, the, that new rule is something to consider, even though it is only in place for a year right now. It could be extended or it could be scrapped based on how things go this year. Let's not also dismiss this. His competition in the return game has also been heightened because of the presence of Deontay Hardy, who right. has plenty of punt return experience uh, and kick return experience. And so if he gets outperformed in that area by Deontay Hardy, he could be off the roster. It's Here's not the just competition at the running back position. It's competition in the return game, too, by a proven guy. The best kickoff return teams in the in the league are the ones who get kicked off to a bunch. They got a poor defense, they give up a lot of points, and they get a lot of reps doing it. You can't, you can never practice kickoff or kickoff return at full speed, Be, for the simple fact of the reason they put the fair catch rule in. It's too dangerous to practice, so nobody gets to practice it except the teams that get scored on a lot, so they get reps yeah. at it. Right? The best kickoff return teams are the ones who get scored on a bunch. If you think you've got an edge in that, 
you're not the team that's going to fair catch it all the time. If you got these teams that never cover a kick for a month, it's touchbacks, touchback, touchback. Now, fair catch, touchback, fair catch, touchback, touchback, fair catch, fair catch. They never get to do it. You bust out Naheem Hines and a bunch of guys who really do do it a lot, it's a huge advantage. Reps and live reps only come during games. And the more you do it during games, the better you get at it. You get a team who hasn't done it in a month because of the way the games have fallen, all of a sudden you get two in the same game and you win it because of them. Mark, you're right. Josh did force the ball down the field too much last year. We had fans complaining, how come they don't put check downs in the passing game for Josh? Newsflash, Ken Dorsey did. Josh just chose not to use them. Now, is that because he had a lack of faith in some of those underneath targets? I doubt that. I just think that Josh sometimes, his competitive nature takes over and he wants it all in one play. Rather than, you know, focusing on the first down, he's focusing on the touchdown. And I like aggressiveness in my quarterback as much as the next guy, but there is a time where you have to look at the whole picture and say, what's going to keep us on the field longer or more effectively? And let's not dismiss the fact that this was the number one third down conversion offense in football despite that. So I think if he's a little more discerning in taking what the defense gives him, let me take this because this is going to get us the first down and maybe we'll hit a big one in the next series. You know, that kind of thing. I think if he takes that mindset, this offense is even more efficient than it was last year. Yeah. Going forward. Yeah. So and yeah, if you go back and look at the all twenty twos, plenty of times when Josh decided guy's running free underneath. Yeah. I'm not gonna throw it there. I'm gonna I'm gonna get some yards. Yeah. You know what I'm I mean? I'm gonna dagger him here. Right. Yeah. Let's go back to the phones and to Mike in Orchard Park. What do you got for us, Mike? Hey, Steven Brownie, thank you for having me on the show. Sure. Love it. Um one thing I think with Josh is trust between the positions around him. I love the additions on the offensive line. I feel Josh is going to feel more comfortable um, inside the pocket. And number two, I was listening to Steve yesterday discuss the communication, the nastiness with the quarterback between the other positions around him. I really believe in that. I really, Josh is focused in on the other positions around him, not just playing quarterback of understanding the receiver position, the running back position of where he wants his guys to be. And I feel that's going to – we're going to see it on the field. I feel he's, he, he's, he's going to have the guys in there, and if they're, if they're not you know, upheld to their position or, or in the right spots, Josh is going to get them off the field. Right. And, you know, the other thing about that, Mike, is Josh has pointed that out himself earlier this week, and, and that's what kind of sparked our conversation on the show that you're referencing, Mike, the fact that – Josh said, I have to step up my communication with the guys that I'm playing with on offense. And I think that's a nice way of him saying, I'm calling people out on the mat if I have to, to get them to do things the way I need to do them to be the most effective quarterback I can be. And Steve went into depth on this and how, you know, Jim Kelly kind of took that approach with him and his teammates. Um, It's necessary. Because it has to be done the way the quarterback wants it done because he's the guy holding the ball and pulling the trigger on every single play. Yeah, the best receivers. Now, certainly the great ones, all of them are a little bit of like Steph Diggs, Andre Reid, Jerry Rice, uh, Justin Jefferson, uh, Jamar Chase, 
go down the list and go down the, through history, they all have a little bit of diva in them. They want the ball. If they're going to go out there and run around and do all this and, and do everything it takes to get away from one of the best athletes on the planet and, and whatever NFL cornerback you want to point to, they want to get the ball when they get open. But the best receivers understand that ultimately they are there to serve the quarterback with an option, an option that the quarterback has seen before. He knows it. He trusts you. He knows you're going to get open. You've earned this from him. He has expectations for you in this route in, and, and in more and more situations, you know, whatever happens. And there's a, a great story between Troy Aikman and – Irving, Michael Irving, in the Super, in the a- NFC Championship game. They were down 21 nothing early in that game. Uh, it was before they beat the Buffalo Bills, my Buffalo Bills, for the second time. And they're in the, it's a tight spot. And <laughs> Troy Aikman gets in the huddle and says, listen, he calls the play. And he looks at Michael Irving and says, listen, I'm coming to you no matter what. <laughs> that kind of trust where I don't care what's happening, I trust you to do it. We need this play. I'm coming to you. Get open. That kind of mentality. The receiver has to have the mindset that he's running that route for the other guy, not for himself so he can get a catch, for the quarterback to have a chance to get him the ball. When you think like that, your routes come out different, your your attitude comes out different, you get open better, you, you make it easier for the quarterback, and that's what they need. That's what this communication thing between Josh and these receivers is all about. Let's see it. I'd love to see it. We have to take a break here. Jack in Rochester, uh, Tom on a cell, Jim and Cheek Dewaga. You guys hang tight. We'll get to you when we return. More of your phone calls next here on One Bills Live. The Buffalo Bills, American Heart Association, and Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield of Western New York are collaborating to offer a mass training event at the Johnny B. Wiley Pavilion on Saturday, June 10th. This event will create engaging and interactive experiences for the community to partake in life-saving skills known as hands-only CPR training. To sign up and get your free tickets, visit Ticketmaster.com and we, uh, we were witness to this yesterday, Steve, because it was happening in the field house as we were making our way in here to do the show yesterday. But the players and the coaches got training um, from some local medical professionals and were taught hands-only CPR. So the whole team doing it um, yesterday, which was kind of cool. So good to see that. Let's get back to the phones where we are discussing today Josh Allen's laser focus for the 2023 season and how might he make some changes to his game to be an even more effective player. Back to the phones we go and to Jack in Rochester. What do you got for us, Jack? You're on One Bills Live. I think for Josh to take his game to the next level, he needs to take a page out of Patrick Mahomes' playbook and learn to throw those extremely precise passes to his receivers where he's leading them to gain those yards after catch. If he could do that on those short and medium-range passes and see big success, I don't think he's going to be trying to force the ball downfield as much. 
Yeah, I, I mean, that's a valid point, Jack. I get that. And hopefully Dalton Kincaid is, uh, you know, a factor in improving that part of Josh's game. Steve and I have talked about this a lot. Josh is an accurate thrower, but his arm strength is so good that he can get it there and put it on the guy rather than lead the guy into space. So even if the guy's 40 yards down the field, he's putting it on in between the guy's numbers instead of leading him into space for the chance for extra yardage. Yeah, I, and I, I agree. I mean, anytime you can look more like Pat Mahomes, you're probably a better quarterback. Um, I, I think the reason Pat Mahomes looks like he does is because um, he's the one and only. I think if you want to make, start making Josh look like somebody other than he is, I think you're kind of headed down the wrong path. You need to make Josh the best version of Josh. Um, certainly you can point to other examples of guys who do things a little differently or a little better than Josh or things that Josh does better than some other guys, those kind of things. But I think you just need Josh to be as good as he can be. Um, and I get what you mean about the yards after catch. Um, and there is some of that, leading guys away from defenders on a dead run so they can keep their momentum going, that kind of thing. Certainly, um, certainly is a good idea. But I don't know about making Josh into a Pat Mahomes. Certainly, you know, anybody would love to be a quarterback like Mahomes, but I think he's a unique talent. I think he's got stuff that he does that nobody else could do. Yeah. Throwing off one foot, falling down, and sidearm, and, you know, submarine in the ball forward kind of throws. I think that's a, that's a, a Pat Mahomes one and only. Josh can do some things nobody else can do, too. I think he just needs those guys to be themselves. And Josh, and I think McDermott knows as well as anybody, and I think Another way of, of saying what you're saying, Jack, is just just make Josh make the right decision all the time because I think physically, with his arm and his head and his body and his mechanic, all that, he can make any throw. But he's got to make the right decision throwing to the right guy. Yeah. And I will give credit to Josh for this because while he might not be the best at leading receivers into space for yards after catch opportunities, he will, in tight space, put it on the proper shoulder to allow the receiver to spin away from a tackle. I've seen him do that multiple times where, you know, a, a defender is bearing down on the receiver's left side. He'll put it on his, on his receiver's right shoulder so he can spin away from the hit instead of into it. I've seen him do that several times over the last couple of years. 803-0550, the number to get on board. Uh, let's go to Jim in West Seneca next. We'll squeeze him in before the break. What do you got for us, Jim? I got uh, that uh, it, it seemed like he was always running to the right, passing from the right, and because they were blowing in from his left side. And now they beefed it up. Now he'll be able to run to the left, pass from the left, or, and or right now. So he should be a better player in that sense. So you're, you're attributing that to better protection up front? Yes. Okay. Okay. Well. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Better offensive you would line hope so, means more right? time. Yeah. I I said it earlier in the in the show. I think the in that rant that I put out yesterday that we, we're kind of basing this <laughs> off of. I would much. I think the offense will look better when Josh can drop back, hitch his step, make the decision, and let it go without having to worry about having guys in and around his legs or in and around his feet or grabbing his throwing arm in the middle of his motion, blowing out his UCL. 
um, if if they can keep him consistently cleaner in the pocket, I mean it's I mean it's obvious he's going to play better. But they got to do that and do it consistently so he learns to trust it. We've all seen too many quarterbacks pull it down too early and start to run around back there, particularly young guys. Josh doesn't really do that too much. He's gotten to the point now where he lets it loose on time. That's what I think this offense needs to do. Um, and you're right, offensive line's a huge part of that. Right. And I don't think the reason he rolls to the right is because the protection was compromised on the left. As any right-handed quarterback will tell you, rolling to the right, it's easier to throw than – it is to roll to your left as a right-handed quarterback and throw the football because you're running to the left, your hips are pointed towards the left sideline, and before you throw the ball, you've got to turn and square up your hips to put the proper power on the throw. That is very hard to do because you're throwing across your body and fighting your own momentum to make a play throwing right-handed, rolling left. When you're rolling right as a right-handed quarterback, it's just a more natural throwing motion because your right hip is back downfield as it is when you set up in the pocket. And that's why it's easier to roll to the right and still make plays with a natural feel to your throwing mechanics. Um, I don't think it was a compromise in protection, although I do agree with you, Jack, that the protection should be better. The Bills made the biggest free agent investment of the entire offseason at the left guard position in the form of Connor McGovern. So, and then they added a couple more with a second-round draft pick and David Edwards, who was a three-year starter for the L.A. Rams. Those investments alone would tell you how much they felt improving the protection and the run blocking in front of Josh, uh, how important that was. So there you are. We have to take a break here, but you tell us what changes you think Josh is going to make to his game in the upcoming 2023 season. The OBL fan mailbag is also open on a getaway Thursday. So if you have any questions about the team, some league rule changes, or the NFL at large, let us have it at 803-0550. Your phone calls in hour number two here on One Bills Live. One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live here. Hour number two, wide open for your phone calls. It is not only a discussion today about Josh Allen and how he might change his game heading into 2023 to ensure ultimate success, but it's a getaway Thursday for us in advance of the Memorial Day holiday weekend. So we move the Friday fan mailbag up to today as well. So any questions you have about the NFL at large, the team, a guy on the roster who's looking good in practice as OTAs continue today, you let us know and we'll try to give you a good answer here on One Bills Live. You can hit us up on the tweet sheet at One Bills Live or call us at 803-0550. Let's get right back to the phones and to Jim in West Seneca. What do you got for us, Jim? Well, I think that Josh last year, seem to be always running to the right, running 
the the ball from the right, passing from the right, throwing across the digs on the left hand side because the offensive line seemed to be blowing right through and tackling them in the backfield. This year they beefed up that line and he should be able to go to the left or go to the right, pass from the left or pass from the right and run from either side. So that that's my opinion. I think he's going to be a better quarterback if, if, as long as he's got that line to protect him. All right. Thanks, Jim. Sounds good, Jim. Are we uh, in a time warp? I think there's an echo in here. That, that wasn't – the previous caller was not a guy from West Seneca. Though. But it was Jim. It was. It was the same Jim. I, it might be. I think it was the same Jim. He's, he pulled a fast one on us. I don't know how he did that, but okay. I blame you. Uh, we covered that. Sure. <laughs> Feel free. Feel free. I mean, I saw not a guy – no, There's more than one gym out there, so I figured, oh, maybe it's a different gym. But yeah, I think we, <laughs> I think we covered that ground in the last segment, so we'll just move forward and go to Dave and Clarence, who we have not had on the show yet. Dave, how are you? Good, fellas. And listen, uh, I think the number one thing that's going to be different about Josh's game this year is going to be a take charge attitude. Now, Steve, you've been alluding to this all week, and I kind of think it's uh, gone under the radar. But I really think you've hit on it. Only the quarterback can bring a team together and play as a unit. All the other units, uh, offensive line, running backs, and receivers are all outside of that realm. If Josh takes the attitude that it's either the team or nothing at all, and if you're not going to play as one, then get out of here. I'll give you a quick example. At the end of the uh, playoff game against Cincinnati, Steph Diggs came over and was very demonstrative uh, in Josh's face. As a defense mechanism, Josh kept looking down at the teleprompter and and, uh, defensively ignored um, uh, Steph. But the new Josh, I think, this year, he means to stand up and stick his finger in in Steph's face and tell him, get the you-know-what out of here because we are a team. If you're not going to be a team, then you're against us. That, I think, is the one thing that has been missing in Josh's attitude all along. He's a wonderful guy. He's a team-oriented guy. He loves everybody. But sometimes, sometimes, you got to let your, even your best player know that you mean business. And I think that's what we're going to see different about Josh. And as I said, and I'll conclude, Steve, you've been hitting on this all week. Have a great day, fellas. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dave. I- I will say this about the there was some stuff made about the when Steph was getting on Josh in that game. I don't <laughs> what he's saying is as important as the fact of the way he was saying it. So I, I and I heard Steph was was encouraging Josh, like saying, Hey, you call you make it. You do it. You know, you make the call, you make the play, you you know, you talk to the coach, you say that what's gonna happen. So he was encouraging Josh to be the exact kind of guy you're, we're asking him to be. It's not that Steph was mad at Josh or berating Josh or getting after him or telling him he was playing like a dog or anything like that. It was telling Josh to be the kind of person we're asking him to be like this today. We're saying, well, listen, just take this thing. Right. Now, at the same time, and this has been corroborated by teammates of Steph's, that when he gets that frustrated and a game is lost, as that one was, when he came to the sidelines there, it was essentially the end of the season. That was their last shot at climbing back into that football game. Diggs did not get targeted on a fourth down play, and he was in one-on-one coverage, and he wants to help the team as much as he can, and he believes he's their best option. 
and he's not wrong to think that. But according to a lot of his teammates, you got to let Steph get it all out. When he's frustrated like that, you just got to let him say his piece, be all yeah. demonstrative, wave his arms, jump up and down, whatever he's got to do. You got to let him get it out of his system because they know him, right? And that's how he is. And don't. And after he gets it out, he's fine. Yeah, and don't don't think that like in some way hamstrings everybody around him. Um, the fact that they know that about Steph Diggs um, make lessens that effect. I mean, that, you know, if if fans and stuff, we everybody's like, some of the fans were like, "Oh my God!" Yeah, the, the sky was falling because Steph had you know was yelling or screaming. For the guys on the sideline, it is no big deal. That ain't it's part of the group dynamic of being in a locker room. You have guys that act certain ways in certain situations. You expect it. You expect. You know, you expect Jim Kelly to go in and puke before the game. It's a cool, no problem. It's not that it, it's different. It's like not outrageous. It happens every week. That's what he does. When Josh, when Steph gets into situations like that, he acts like that. Guys know it. They expect it, and it's okay with him. When Josh gets into certain situations, he does stuff. Guys expect it. They know it. They it it's comforting almost to see a guy act out in a way that you expect him to act out. It's normal. You know these guys, guys are so aware of each other's attitudes, actions, the way they work, the way they think, the way they speak, how they react to certain things. People are, guys are so aware and so familiar with guys, it doesn't affect that locker room the way we think it does, the way it does fans, because the fans don't know. So, those sideline spats, for the, in large measure, are meaningless. Certainly, and mostly they're helpful, even if it looks like they're in a combative way, in a combative mode. Mm -hmm. Mostly they're helpful. Certainly not all of them. But most of the time they're constructive, even though they look violent or argumentative or combative. It's usually helpful. So yeah, don't, don't get carried away. And, and I see why you, you use that. And I'm, I mean, our, our guy Dave, you know, he used it as an example of what he wants Josh to be like. He wants yeah. him to. And I see that, and I and I would agree with it. I think there's room for Josh to be the guy that says, "Hey, th this house going to be that." The NFL is like I've let you know, I've told you a couple off the air. It's neck deep in stories about quarterbacks who were that way, and they're most of them are humorous now. Yeah, because the guy was the guy had to be such a donkey to get guys to do what he wanted them to do. Everybody thought he was a donkey all the time when he really wasn't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, <laughs> you, the guy get yeah. So, um, that kind of stuff happens. So, it it's a weird world inside an NFL locker room, but it, it gets weird because it's so individualized and so, and I hate to say that, it's so intimate. These guys can do things for and with each other and to each other in a, in a positive way that can be perceived as just the opposite of that from the outside. Yeah. Let's get back to the phones and see what you have to say at 803-0550. Open line for you there. And we go to Tia in Livonia next. What do you got for us, Tia? Hi, guys. Happy Memorial Day early. Yep. One thing Josh needs to change only is to lower his INTs. Those receivers out there, if that ball comes with an arm's length, they better catch it. Other than that, he's a beast. He don't have to change a thing, in my view, except that. 
Okay. Fair enough. Cut down. All right. Cut and down. wait a minute. One one more thing I want to say. Yeah. That guy's talking about him being like Patrick Mahomes. Not. He's Josh. He went toe-to-toe with him season before last. He can go toe-to-toe with anybody. Running game, I don't give a crap about. As long as them dudes, that ball comes with an arm's length, they catch it. He lowers his turnovers. We're good. Thank right. you. You guys have a great weekend. You too, Tia. Thanks for the call. Tia, you can call back anytime you want. You're speaking our language. I mean, that Brownie and I have been talking about this. If you don't, if you cut your interceptions in half, if you cut your fumbles in half, particularly your lost fumbles, of course, this team is an unstoppable force. How much do you think that is rooted in the instances in which Josh had the full weight of the outcome of the game on his shoulders. When that happens, I almost feel like he loses that decision-making edge because I think he feels his options are reduced and it's just him out there. Whereas when the offense is humming, guys are making plays around him, I think there's this there isn't this sense of foreboding, if you will. Not that I know that he thinks that way. But you know what I'm saying? Like when when things aren't going right, when the offense looks like a heavy lift, he puts it on himself to make more of the plays. And I think that's when you get into the danger area and turnovers become more prevalent. And so I think Brandon Bean very astutely, and, and Sean McDermott undoubtedly has supported this, has upgraded some of the positions around him, the skill positions, chief among them and then obviously the offensive line positions too I think to give him faith and confidence that you know what I don't have to do all of it right there was now look there are certainly going to be games this year where the offense is stinking out the joint and he may have to put the cape on once or twice I think they're hoping he doesn't have to put on the cape eight or nine times maybe it's just one or two times you know, this season in a 17-game schedule. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And, I, think I think that'll think cut the turnovers is, down, too. So I think you're right. Some of it is rooted in his his belief that he has to put the team on his shoulders and his belief that he can put the team on his shoulders yeah. anytime he darn well wants to. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, there's got to – there is a little bit of that in there. I would think some of that is rooted in there, the turnovers, I mean. Right? Yeah. Some of the, the attitude and the reasons why Josh thinks, all right, well, I'm going to win this game here in the early in the third quarter. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm going to do it right now in this play. I'm going to win the game. Right? That kind of attitude where, you know, you're going you're gonna to put the cape on and become the, the ultimate weapon, and it'll just be over with. Um, I think some of the turnovers do happen with that. I think you look back at the last turnover right at the end of the Minnesota game, the interception that ended the game in overtime. He's trying to make a throw. He didn't need to make. He's got an option right here that he could hit in Devin Singletary, who is they forgot about, and he tries to squeeze it in, and it and it was you know it took a superhuman throw that was just off, and you know it gets picked off, and the game's over. All of that stuff happens because too often he decides he's going to win the game, and he does win the game. Yeah, thirteen times it happened last year. Maybe if it only happened three, we'd, you know. Right. And with all these guys they've got on this, with the upgrades around him, you would think, yeah, they're, they see the same thing we do. Let's give Josh some options that he doesn't have to put the cape on. And he understands it and trusts it. Yeah. 
Let's get back to the phones and to Scott in Florida next. What do you got for us, Scott? I got a good one, I think. Just watching everything on the TV in the last week, they've made the Jets and the Dolphins Super Bowl champions. And I I just can't understand how they can jump ahead of the Bills, which I am a pure lover of. Right. I just wanted to ask you what you're thinking about that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised. The New York hype machine is is what it is. And Mm -hmm. so when you have a four-time MVP coming to a franchise that hasn't had a franchise-caliber quarterback for the better part of the last 40 years, um, they're going to get excited and the expectations are going to be overinflated. And I think people just feel on paper they've got a better team. And look, last year the Jets had a championship-caliber defense. It was good enough in my estimation. The problem is they didn't have the same stuff on offense. They weren't a well-rounded team. And I think a lot of people were of the opinion, after watching disastrous quarterback play last year, oh, all the Jets need is a proven quarterback. And then they get a four-time MVP, and so people are over the moon about them saying, oh, yeah, they're going to run off with this thing. There's you know? some, there, yeah, I listen, everybody's going to pick a Super Bowl favorite. It, that's what we do. Last year it was the Bills and the Chiefs and you know a couple other things. Now it's you know the Bengals and or the Dolphins or the Jets. Um, it's just what we do. I, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, but we can sit here and certainly see the logic in it. The Jets were a tough out last year with zero quarterback play. Yeah, I mean Zach Wilson beat the Bills. You know, don't don't forget about that. That's how good their roster was last year. And you throw Aaron Rodgers into that particularly in a year where he's extremely motivated with some pressure on him to come through. Um, There's every reason to think the Jets are going to be significantly better than they were a year ago. So having said all of that, I mean, Bills fans know this. To to get to and win a Super Bowl, you've got to keep a thousand balls juggling all at the same time. And just when you think you've got it and you got the, the quarterback, you know, you got the quarterback ball and you toss it in the air to keep it in the air like you're juggling, all of a sudden your defense drops on the ground or your secondary drops on the ground, your running game drops on the ground, your defensive line drops on the ground or injuries get dropped on the ground or, you know, or you have a guy have a heart attack on the field. You know, that kind of thing. Um there's always something that keeps 31 teams from winning the Super Bowl. Expectations sometimes can be that thing. And I I would argue that it's more about the excitement level of what the Jets have at the quarterback position and less – I think people are more excited about what the Jets can be than they are dismissive about what the Bills are, if that makes any sense. I think – they're so excited about the Jets that it's blocking out the sun and everything else in the AFC East to a certain extent. And people are excited about the Dolphins because they've retooled their defense, made a big-name trade, you know, acquiring Jalen Ramsey and or signing Jalen, whatever it was. Did they sign him or trade for him? I can't even remember. It's not important. They, they have Jalen Ramsey. Traded for they him. did trade for him. Um, and they have Vic Fangio as their defensive coordinator, who is a proven successful coordinator in this league. And so that's what has people all jazzed up. It's always about the shiny new thing. 
Last year, the shiny new thing in the AFC East was Von Miller. And so what happened? People got all excited about the Bills and stamped them a Super Bowl favorite before they played a game. They're doing the same thing with the Jets and, to a lesser extent, the Dolphins. And the Bills are just lying in the weeds. And I'll tell you right now, I'm happy about it. I love the Bills lying in the weeds. That's yeah, where I want to be. A lot of Bills fans are more comfortable there. Um, but expectations are part of the NFL, particularly at this time of year, because that's all you have. Everybody's 100% healthy. Everybody has improvements that they can point to. Mm-hmm. And everybody has optimism. Uh, and everybody has the exact same record. So it's a very different landscape than it is a month into the season, two months into the season, three months into the season, and then headed into the postseason. It's a very different landscape at all those milestones. And this one, uh, it's the same every year. <laughs> yeah. Every team is better. Yeah. Whether it's right, wrong, or indifferent. Back to the phones and to Joe and Tonawanda. What do you got for us, Joe? Hey, yeah. Um... Still trying to write this down, uh, but uh, yeah, that last play, that argument that Stephens had with uh, Josh, uh, I'm complaining about the play calling on that because we were down by 17 with right. seven and a half minutes left. We needed a field goal anyway. Why did we even go for it on fourth down? You know, it's like we committed suicide because anything could happen with seven and a half minutes left. Why did we go for it on fourth down? Yeah. I don't know. I was thinking about it for a while, and now I finally called. All yeah. right, thank you. Yeah, sure, Joe. You, you I, got, I, Joe, I got to tell you, I haven't. That's off my radar. Well, so it's fourth and six at the sixteen-yard line with seven and a half minutes to go in a three-score game. Right. Um. Sure, you can go out and kick the field goal and get your three points, but now you got to stop the Bengals again which the defense had not done a great job of doing through the course of the day. Um, and then you got to score, and then you got to stop them again and score again. There's a lot of football going. So that's, that's a heavy lift. And I will say that the Bills had gotten into the red zone just two times prior to that in the entire football game. So here they are down at the 16-yard line down three scores, it's not unrealistic to think that Coach McDermott's like, we got to get a touchdown here, and then we'll worry about onside kick or whatever we want to do after we stick it in the end zone. You're at the 16. I I don't mind them going for that at all. I really don't. Yeah, I don't – I don't know what the analytics would say about that. Taking the field – maybe they would say take a field goal. Fourth and six is a big number. Um at the 16-yard line, though, is pretty close. I mean, um, you're still taking a shot at the end zone, whether it's fourth and six, fourth and nine, whatever. It's fourth down. Yeah. You got to score. Um, I can't remember that. I got to be honest with you. That's the play where Diggs was in one-on-one coverage on the far, sure. on the backside of the play, and um, Josh threw it to Davis in the end zone, and he didn't come up with it. The Maybe, Sean, I, maybe it's as simple as Sean having a gut feeling. Just and saying this, and this is what we're going to do. And not for nothing, they only got the ball one more time because the defense could not get off the field. So I think if you're down there close with seven and a half minutes left in a three-score game and you have a chance for a touchdown, you go for the touchdown because you don't know how the next possession is going to go. What if the next possession stalls at the 30 and it's fourth and right. six? 
what are you doing there? You're probably bringing Tyler Bass on to kick it because he's good enough to put it through from there. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I think with where they were on the field, it dictated let's try to get the touchdown here because we may not get this close again. Right. And I think that's what kind of predicated that decision. That's just my guess. I don't know that for sure. Let's go to Lou in Rochester next. What do you got for us, Lou? Hi, guys. Um, I'm Josh Allen. The Jets and um, Miami don't have him. The Bills do. I wouldn't trade him for Mahomes. Mahomes is kind of an improviser who's been bailed out by Kelsey innumerable times because Kelsey's a mismatch, and DCs can't figure him out. Hopefully, Kincaid becomes that with the Bills. The one area that Josh could make life easier for himself, though, is to dump off to Cook, Hines, Harris now. Take the plays that Tom Brady used to do, which often resulted in first downs. So hopefully he takes the easy road. Yeah. Thanks, Lou. Yeah, we would agree. I mean, that, uh, there was a lot of times when you just wish Josh had to just make it look easy, move the ball down the field. I would say this, too, and I don't know. As I say that, I'm reminded of how it was early in this last season when you know they go out to L.A. on that Thursday night game to kick off the season against the defending world champions and hang 31 points on them and hold them to 10 points. Vaughn Miller gets two sacks in the game, and they look like they're humming along. It seemed like, although they had big plays in the game, Josh was more willing to hit those quick release, get them out of your hands, passes. Same thing in the Tennessee game the week a week later. Uh, just seemed more willing. And when he did that, later on, you'd get the big play. Right. Then you get to a game like a Pittsburgh Steelers game, and your first third down of the, of the game, you're third and 16 on your own three-yard line because you you bobble a snap away or whatever it was that they got <laughs> tackled for loss. And Josh drops it back, throws a 98-yard touchdown pass. Then later he throws a 64-yard touchdown pass. Then it's like, who needs the, tum- who needs the dump off, You're right? lured into his false sense of security. Yeah, I don't know how, how much that happens and he needs to play. It's just unbelievable uh, how that game happens right out of the chute. Um, but early on, very early in the season, it seemed like, yeah, yeah okay, they'll do that. We'll take the dump off. But as the season wore on more and more, they got away from it. And it, it became about all or bust, you know. I get it. And I think you can get lured into a false sense of security because he had a red zone turnover in that game. And then he still used big plays to win the game handily. And so it didn't really crop up as a problem. But that is when the red zone turnover started and continued for the better part of the next five games and made games much closer than they needed to be. And ESPN threw the stat up yesterday when they were talking about one-score games. Over the last three seasons, among quarterbacks, Josh leads the league in turnovers with 36 over the last three seasons in one-score games. I think Josh is hyper-aware of those kinds of things. He reviews all his film from the season before, and I think he's aware of that, along with Coach McDermott, and they've probably had those conversations to illustrate, hey, I got to be a better decision maker week in and week out and reduce the risk that might sometimes creep into my game, throwing the football. And I'll say this too. Let's not forget the Bills are out to a six and one start. 
yeah. they ain't changing anything. Beat the Chiefs on the road. And they ain't changing anything. The Packers come in here, and they the Packers are absolutely have no chance of winning that game. They score a touchdown late to get it to ten. The the Bills absolutely were throttling people, so they, it wasn't any reason for them to think, eh, you know, maybe we maybe we should start taking the dump down. No, you know they they were rolling people, so I I'm. Uh, yeah, I, I get it, and but I agree. I, I think Josh does need to hit those, and Brownie, you call them easy button throws. Just take it, and let's keep, stay on the field, and let's, you know, get keep another rolling. first down and keep rolling. You know, just keep doing it. Um, if they do that more this year, twofold effect. One, they stay on the field. Two, they, they face fewer third downs, even though they're very good at it. And now it's three. And three, they turn it over less. Yeah. Because he's not trying to force it in and, yeah, higher percentage throws. Yeah, Break time for us here. More of your thoughts coming up on the tweet sheet, and we may even crack open the Friday fan mailbag here on a getaway Thursday. One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, back here on One Bills Live. Some good comments so far. We go right back to the phones and to Kevin, who's out there in Rome, New York. What do you got for us, Kevin? Uh, good afternoon. Love your show. Thanks. I, I have two comments, one on uh, Josh's running. It would be nice to see him this year be able to run when it's advantageous and not have to run so often because he has to run and be our superhero. Uh, the second thing I have to say is I, I, what I'd like to see, and, I, and I'd like to hear what you guys have to say about it. I'd like to see us running the ball a little bit more with the running backs and Josh be a little more disciplined in showing, throwing the quick, shorter passes. And my logic is if we do that, then the defenses cannot just rush with, with a total focus of going after Josh because they could get burned. Secondly, it seems that the cornerbacks and safeties, if we keep doing so well with this shorter and a little bit more running, they might get caught cheating up, and that would open up for some of our speedy uh, receivers to be more wide open on the long passes. I'll hang up, and i uh, looking forward to hear what you have to say. Yeah, sure thing, Kevin. I will say this. I think Sean McDermott knows that this is a passing league, and so I think he gives full license to Ken Dorsey to, you know, lean more towards the passing game, not only because that's what the league has proven through analytics is the more effective way to score, but you got a guy back there with a howitzer for an arm. So it makes sense. But I think that at his core, Sean McDermott also believes you have to be able to do everything on offense. And I think – under Dayball and then maybe a little bit more under Dorsey, it drifted to an area where while they did run the ball to a certain degree, it was Josh doing most of the heavy lifting in that area because the guys that they had lined up at running back either weren't utilized enough, James Cook, or weren't, weren't elite enough to have them run it effectively more. And so Brandon Bean went about correcting that this offseason by upgrading the running back position, upgrading the guard position up front to enable them 
to be better at everything. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to necessarily run at a higher percentage of their plays. They still might be, you know, 58-42 pass to run or even 60-40. But I think if they are better running the ball, they can do what you're hoping the offense can demonstrate, which is keeping a defense more honest. Because, I mean, we saw it all the time, Steve. The, you know, the ball fake to the running back, it almost became a half-hearted exercise where the play action that they had used under Dable, I always felt like they were selling it more effectively than maybe we saw at times last year, and I think it did make them one-dimensional and more predictable as a result. Yeah, all that, all that mm-hmm. stuff I would sign off on. I, I'm, I'm not really ready to run the ball more. No. We, but you can always run it more effectively. But as soon as you start running it effectively – and winning games doing it, it's like, why don't we run it more? And, you know, it's a throwing league. You're only going to run it so well. Um, it's because you're playing against NFL defenses and they just refuse to let you do it. So they'll even to the point of enticing you to throw it. So running it more, okay, if you can get four and a half, five yards a crack and never take a zero play or a negative play, that's kind of where you want to be. Get good yardage when you hand the ball off and force the defense to respect it every single play. And this stuff about Josh running, and he's I don't running. I don't know whether you're talking about Josh running the ball on called plays or non-called plays. Because when he drops back to pass, pulls it down, and runs it, that's that's not a running game with Josh. It's a broken play that Josh makes something out of. It's not, a, it's not like they, hey, drop back, wait a half second, and then take off running. They don't have any plays in the playbook like that, you know, unless, unless it's a quarterback draw. Um, but that, that's what you're talking about. So, I'm, yeah, I don't want any cold running plays to Josh Allen if you can help it. If you're good enough to do that, that would be awesome. Because Josh is going to get his share of running, of his share of carries, just out of the passing game because that's what he'll do. So I'm with you. I don't want to run the ball more, and I certainly don't want to run it more with Josh. I just want to run it more effectively. We've been saying that for two years, let alone this one. And, of course, more short passes means the DBs are going to guess more, get tighter and tighter to line of scrimmage, and ultimately you'll beat them deep that way. That's all part and parcel of what it is to play football. And the other thing about the running game, too, is if you can run it effectively enough when you have the lead at the end of games, the four-minute drill, for example, and we talked to Damian Harris about this in studio when we had him here earlier this week. If you can do that, if you can do that, that probably reduces your turnovers, too, because you're running the ball instead of putting it in harm's way in the air when you already have the lead and the game can be salted away with a running game. may not be sexy, may not be exciting, but if it gets you the win, who the heck cares? And so I think that's another element of why it would be hoove the Bills to make the run game more effective. Um, let's go to the tweet sheet, Steve. We have not done that yet. And we've got some uh, people with some comments over there in terms of what changes they think Josh will make in his game, knowing he's laser-focused on this 2023 season. And tweet sheet brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills. Connor leads us off, and he says... I think Josh will take more of a role in the offense. He needs to get in his receivers' faces when they aren't doing what he wants. I also want him to voice his opinion to Dorsey in terms of playing time for certain players. He obviously wanted Kincaid 
for a reason. Me Bang Drum says Josh doesn't need to change anything. The O-line needs to perform. He was under constant pressure the second half of 2022 being invested in the line. It's now time for Cromer to step it up. Andrew says being more aware of his surroundings and trusting that his players will make the plays. Also taking a little zip off the ball for those short passes might help. That could be could have been a contributing factor for some of those drop passes last season. What do you think of that one from Andrew? Being more trusting of the players around him making plays and taking a little off the fastball. Yeah, I see it. We've talked about it. Being more trusting of the players being able to make plays means you're going to give them the chance to do it by giving them the ball, throwing the football to them. you got to trust those guys to that when you throw it to them, they're going to be able to make the play, even if it's you know short of the line to gain, you know. Um, that's all in – yes, that is his – that's his decision to make. If mm-hmm. he doesn't trust him, he's not going to throw him the football, even on a screen pass, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's – and I'm sure he has a level of trust for all those guys out there. Um, but I think from the way we've been talking, I think a lot of it is to – Say, listen, I'm not going to do – I'm going to let him do this this time. I'm not going to put the cape on and carry this team. I'm going to allow this guy to carry the team for a minute, you know? Yep. That's kind of the mindset we've been talking about. Carl says, I think he will focus more on taking what the defense gives him and protecting the football. Too many turnovers last year, especially in the red zone. That's right. Jeremy says, I personally hope he focuses on the intermediate portion of the field instead of the high-risk, high-reward plays. I feel that would come with time, and that time – should be now. And then finally from Rich, I think he adds a little more Joe Burrow to his game, making the obvious easy throws and being more of a boxer with a lot more jabs, crosses, and body blows, i.e. shorter, easier throws, to set up the haymaker shot plays. Rich makes a lot of sense. I'll sign up for that. A guy named Jello says, I have a feeling the short over the middle tight end throws are going to be fast and plentiful. Ball gets out quicker and it will open up the run game. I think that's why Kincaid is here, quite frankly. Yeah. Work the middle of the field more effectively, which was a problem with Cole Beasley no longer on the roster until the latter stages of the season last year. Break time here for us. We'll get some final thoughts on the tweet sheet when we return here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, one final thought here from the OBL Friday fan mailbag. From Bills News Consolidated, they asked, Taron Johnson had the highest defensive snap count last season. Knowing we prioritize player health, do you think it would be wise to work in another player in the rotation, such as Taylor Rapp? Uh, I'll be in favor of that. Uh, and I think it's, it's going to be incumbent upon Sean McDermott to find ways to get Taylor Rapp on the field. I think he's too good a player to not try to incorporate into this defense, even if he doesn't have a starting role, because you have Boyer and Hyde at the safety spot. Right. I, um, I'm not really one for taking a good player off the field when he's playing well. Right. But if for the case, in the case of a long season and to get a guy some reps, certainly they're going to be experimenting with some of this during the preseason. You may be able to catch this in some of the, one of the three preseason games. Mm-hmm. We'll maybe get an idea the flavor of Sean McDermott's play calling. Certainly, if they start changing people in and out, they're going to have to. But I'm talking about positions in and out, not just players. I mean, obviously, we're going to see different players playing. Yep. But are they going to be out of that two linebacker, five DB set all the time that they're in? 
Are they going to go into some three linebacker? Are they going to go into some six DBs? That stuff like that. That's going to be really interesting to watch and see. We don't know the answers to that, but certainly when you start doing that, Taron Johnson's name's the first one up because you got to you, you inside in the slot is different than playing outside, and you could see different kinds of athletes being pushed into that role, even if they're going to zone it off rather than play man-to-man. So, yes, uh, it's part of one of the questions we don't know the answer to going right. into the But knowing season. how much this team has played nickel with those five, with the same five guys same all five the guys. time, teams have started to game plan against that. They'll right. pull a guard around and put him on Terran coming right. around the edge and blasting him out of there right. on a run play. And I believe that Sean McDermott always wanted to stay on the front foot of those things with those matchups and that scheming is going to want to have different looks for that to throw curveballs at the opposing offense to say, hey, you can't scheme it up with the anticipation that Terran's going to be sitting there all the time. That's right. I think that I, I think there's a that's one of the most intriguing questions of this offseason. Certainly Josh's statements about his play and how the team's going to bounce back from last year. Uh, Von Miller, all of that is a question mark. But Sean McDermott and his defensive coordinatorship of this team is really going to be fun to watch yeah. and interesting. Steve and I have a long weekend. No show Friday, no show Monday, but we'll be back on Tuesday when OTAs are back open. We'll have full coverage for you then. Enjoy the weekend.